0: it's funny because when we started this the new york times was the north star for us in this in the process and we said okay if this if if our pr strategy works this is where we'll be six months of us going maybe the new york times will write an article maybe they won't like it would be amazing and then it happened and in full vermont fashion the photographer they sent i went to middle school with him
1: from vermont center for emerging technologies it's start here podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we sit down with Nora Ganley-Roper, who turned a dream road trip into a truly unique and forward-thinking business. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber. And David Bradbury. Recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Today's episode is brought to you by the Center for Women in Enterprise. Nora, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me pleasure.
2: It's so cool to see all of you without the mask. And and thank you for being a a steady member and one who would bring spirit in every now and again.
1: (laughs) Every now and again. That's why we keep her around. I know. It's nice to be back. (laughs) Um, So our, our teaser today didn't actually say what your business was. So what is Lost Lantern Whiskey?
0: So Lost Lantern Whiskey is an independent bottler of American whiskey. And that basically means we buy whiskey from all over the country. And Bring it back to our bottler and put it out as single casts or blends with full transparency on where it's coming from. So we're part blending house and part curators of American whiskey. You didn't set up the most convenient
1: business you could have possibly set up.
0: No. No, it is <laughs> it is not the easiest. They're definite logistical nightmares. We are shipping casts from all over the country, which has been great during the pandemic and is difficult in even the, even the most normal of circumstances, but it's awesome. I mean, we our life is basically tasting the best of what whiskey is available in the U.S. and finding the hidden gems, so I can't really complain even with the logistical headaches. It's a passion business. It is, yeah.
2: It's so annoying when, when they just smile the whole time. <laughs> I, 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 our listeners can't hear that, but there's a, a grin ear-to-ear ear that's like, this is what I get to do. I love it. So what was your career like prior to to... Lost lantern.
0: Yeah, so I am definitely a zigzagger. I started in finance right out of college. I I studied physics and wanted to use my math skills and went into kind of quantitative modeling in um, finance and pretty quickly realized that finance was not for me. It was not really the culture I wanted and just generally not the trajectory I needed. So I spent five years doing finance and then I left and I said, I'm going to do something different, and I actually went and got a job at a wine and spirits store in New York City because wine was my love. I spent a lot of time reading textbooks on my own time, and so said, hey, this is the best way to learn and to taste wine that I could never afford, like $200, $300 bottles of wine, and little did I know that I would get promoted pretty quickly to sales manager, and then all of a sudden I had to manage everyone on the sales floor including all of our spirit specialists. So I spent a lot of time while there learning about whiskey especially and fell in love with it and kind of started thinking about how cool craft whiskey was in the United States because when I was at the store it was very much in its infancy and kind of finding its way and there were a lot of interesting distilleries that were popping up and it was hard to find them. So st- the the very kernels of the idea were, were there, but then I actually left and I went and I worked for startups for five years between that and now, and I was in New York City, so it was a great place to get jobs working in startup operations, because I knew I wanted to do something in the industry. I didn't know exactly what, and I figured, why not learn how to build a business on someone else's dime before I was doing it myself? So then my co-founder and husband, um, Adam, came to me with this idea that he had figured out while writing a few stories about independent bottling in Scotland and um, the American whiskey industry. And he came to me with this idea and I said, yes, that, let's do it. And we got started. So cool. And so what is Adam's background? Because I think that's Um, obviously relevant here as well. Yeah, so he is a whiskey journalist. So he wrote for Whiskey Advocate, probably the best whiskey magazine in the country for many years and focused specifically on craft whiskey. So he was their craft spirit specialist um, rating those whiskeys and really learning all about it and also building relationships with all the distilleries, which was hugely valuable for us. Because when we went on the road and said, hey, can you sell us casks? Some of the very best distilleries said, yes, for Adam, we will do it. We've never said yes you to had, anyone You had some else.
2: relationships and yes. some street cred.
0: Yeah. And, and some people who've never said yes to anyone else said yes to us. So that was super, super exciting for our business. This is why I love partnerships.
1: And, you know, there's amazing solo founders out there as well but i think just your background in finance and startups and you know spirits and then his background in writing and building relationships with these distillers like that's the magic, right?
0: Like, not, each of you yes. alone probably wouldn't have all the skills, but together it's like the dream team. Right. We talk about all that, that all the time. Without me, he wouldn't know how to run a business, and without him, I wouldn't be able to access the whiskey. So it's a dream team.
2: I love it. Uh, your physics background is impressive too, right? You're at Barnard and Columbia, yeah. and yeah. then you won a prize. <laughs> Great physics prodigy. Um, is there any – how would you make the quantum leap then to – Get it, get it, Sam?
1: You had to. Yeah, had You to. just wanted to use that. How did
2: you make that leap into this whole other industry? I mean, do you still pull from things that you see, whether it's patterns or the mathematics of, of distilling somehow? Is there any connection?
0: Yeah, for me, it is patterns. It's all about patterns. It's all about efficiency. So for me, when I went in, when I moved from Wine and Spirits back to startups, I really dug in. There, I was very early stage startup called Notel that was actually a WeWork competitor that went bankrupt in the last six months, yay, pandemic. But for me, they brought me on to make things more efficient and to streamline everything. And for me, I take all of that skill set of finding the quickest answer, the most correct, the most obvious, and I apply that to efficient processes. And so I do that even with our supply chain and other things like that. I'm definitely less of a people person than Adam is. And so I bring the, it's the puzzles. Oh, bullshit. Like, (laughs) they
2: are pretty personable.
1: Totally. Thank you. I appreciate
0: that. <laughs>
2: okay. All right, I'll stop sucking up too. you. Okay. Um,
1: so when we first met, one of the things that I was totally like, you know, envious of is you told me about this road trip, this dream road trip that sort of kicked off this whole company, this whole dream. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so one of the interesting things about craft whiskey is it's very regionally focused. So mm-hmm. a lot of the whiskey... That we wanted to get our hands on, we couldn't even taste in New York. So it became very clear to us. I thought you could taste everything in New York. <laughs> I wish. I know you would think, but not not in this area. It's crazy. So we actually realized very quickly that if we wanted to do this, we had to go on the road and talk to the distillers and tell them about what we were what we are doing and get buy in and get them excited and get them on board from the infancy of the business. So we spent. Initially, eight months on the road, driving all over the U.S., tasting whiskey, talking to distilleries, visiting national parks on our weekend time. And then after that, we spent an additional month on the road in the Midwest. So nine months and counting on the road visiting distilleries, and we still have the whole Southeast to do when it's safe again.
2: Oh, what a nightmare.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And
1: so was your, like, um, was Adam's sort of background, like, your foot in the door with those places? To be like, we're not just, like you know, tourists here, we actually want to talk to you about our business. Like, how did you manage that? Like, did you call ahead and set up meetings or did you just kind of wander in? And I don't know, I'm just curious about that relationship building.
0: Yeah, we would always set up meetings before because we wanted to make sure we were talking to the right person and someone who could actually say uh, yes to us. And certainly the Whiskey Advocate name helps us get our feet in the door. Also, this independent bottling model, especially with single malt producers, they've been waiting. And so they heard that we were doing this. And so we got some of our cold emails. People were like, yes, we'll sell you barrels. We don't care who you are. This model needs to get exist in the U.S. So we also got some awesome buy-in that way from people who were really embedded in kind of understanding scotch because that's where the, the model comes from.
1: And from an entrepreneurial perspective, having that response is key, right? You know, Dave and I always talk to the entrepreneurs we work with about, like, getting that buy-in, like proving out your market. And that's exactly, you know, when you get those responses, that's key. It is. Yeah.
2: So your business model is pretty unique, right? Could you just explain how you're different than, say, uh, you know, a a distiller that, like a Bar Hill distillery, right, that does it vertically integrated, I guess would be, um, and your model?
0: Yeah. Love Bar-, Bar Hill, by the way. I know you had Ryan on so this podcast. Good. Oh, yeah. um, great guy. But I think the big difference is we are actually buying whiskey from elsewhere. We're not making it. We're never going to distill. We're never going to have a still. We actually currently contract the bottling process with a distillery in Southern Vermont. We're working on getting our own space. But for us, it's it's Really low overhead, and what we're doing is we're aging things, we're curating, and that's that's how we add value. We're doing some interesting experiments right now and blending, so it's different. Our costs are different, um, and what we're selling to customers and whiskey drinkers is really the fact that we've already sifted through everything that's good. We're not we're not saying, hey, here we made it. This is you should try this. It's we've tasted thousands of whiskeys if you want to only spend some money on a few whiskeys we've done all that work here are the things to try so it's it's a totally different conversation and it's awesome with distillers because they don't feel like we're competition Mm -hmm. we're there telling their story making them sound amazing and it's it it, there's space for everyone on the shelf when it comes to our products, which is awesome.
2: I want to make sure I heard this correctly. Did you say sift it through or sipped it through?
0: <laughs> I said sifted through, but I should have said Oh, sipped it through? Like,
2: it's brilliant. It is, so, yeah. Uh, trademark.
0: <laughs> That's boom. great. And, and this is, I think
1: I remember you telling me that this is a model that, you know, Scotland's been doing forever, right. and it's just kind of new to the U.S. Is that right?
0: Yeah, because the the whiskey industry was super consolidated in Kentucky, Tennessee, and Indiana. Before probably 10 years ago, and only now is there enough mature whiskey across the U.S. that this kind of model can even exist. So yeah. there are good
1: things happening in innovation. It, it yeah. is, <laughs> and,
2: and you know, I think too that it was just a, a really great article on sort of liquor laws and habits that really came out of prohibition eras, and like so, producers across state lines really had no way to get to New York City, right, unless they had a big budget and were driving things over at yeah. night. Undercover Darkness, and <laughs> I, I love what you're sort of tying it together, right? It's really uh, to your credit. Um, the, uh, I have to ask you. Please. The New yeah. York Times, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow.
0: Right, wow indeed. Wow, yeah. how did that
2: come about, that profile and picture? You, you guys looked awesome yeah. on that.
0: Thank you. Um, it was definitely Surreal. Um, so we're interesting because most people start with digital marketing and marketing spend and advertising. We actually haven't done any of that. We just we hired an awesome PR agency hmm. because we knew that our volumes are so small that we wanted to target the high end drinkers. And the fastest way to get to a lot of them is through the media. And it's funny because when we started this, the New York Times was the North Star for us in this in the process and we said, "Okay, if this if if our PR strategy works, this is where we'll be." <laughs> and we never thought it would happen, but it's funny because Clay who wrote the article, he was our first interview because he's another person that's been waiting for this model. Mm. And so it really helps from so many perspectives that whiskey drinkers, media, distilleries are already looking for this and it helps that we have a really unique founder market fit. There are very few people that come in to the industry brand brand new in quotations with 10 years of industry experience and connections and all of that. So there's also, even though we're new, there's a level of credibility and people trust that what we're doing makes sense. And then they taste the whiskey and they love it. And it's it it kind of flows from there. But it was six months of us going, maybe the New York Times will write an article, maybe they won't. Like it would be amazing. And then it happened, and in full Vermont fashion, the photographer they sent, I went to middle school with him.
2: Oh, I love it. I love it. Of
0: so course. So it's of- like only one of those only in Vermont moments. So perfect.
1: I love that. Um so I want to talk about the business model a little bit, because as soon as you say small batch whiskey, if you're talking to a business person, small batch scares the hell out of them because they're hearing the opposite of scalability, right? So can you talk a little bit about how you all have navigated that and sort of what your
0: growth strategy is? Yeah, it's it's a great question. We're actually doing launch Vermont right now, um, and this is something that we've worked on a lot. So... Initially it's small batches, basically getting people excited, getting a ton of people on the newsletter, getting good write-ups, and then we start increasing batch sizes and increasing batch frequency. Because one of the, the hard things and the beauty of buying whiskey from everywhere is we're not gonna get consistency. But luckily, whiskey consumers at the level that we're looking at, like $70 to $200, they're actually, they don't care about consistency. They want stuff to be available, but they're actually, they're perfectly happy to talk endlessly about, about batch B1 versus batch C2. Like that's part of the beauty of it. So for us, we plan to scale. We plan to scale really, really rapidly over the next five years, get our own space, start building up inventory and doing really frequent larger batches. And that's how we create volume while continuing to preserve the idea of special releases and grab it before it's gone. And that kind of insider feel that our customers get right now, we're just trying to replicate that and expand out.
2: How, how similar what have you learned from maybe the, the craft beer experiences? Like, you know, there's this, like, oh, we got this hop out of this secret valley. We're going to mix that in. Or we're going to do skadoosh number one and number seven experimentals. Like, is, is that helping? Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. We, I mean, we love that model. And we love being in Vermont for that reason, because there's so much of that innovation when it came to the way to release beer in the U.S., came from here We're actually like lawson's when we were living in new york city we would they would do what they called hype drops in new york where they would drop off beer and then all of our favorite beer bars would put it on instagram and people would like literally run there <laughs> to buy the right. beer and so we're actually in the next couple of months we're going to try our own version of that to see how it works so we are very very influenced <clears throat> excuse me by especially the vermont beer community and the way that they've released things and yeah that it, culture
1: right i mean that that people love that thing and there's only so much beer you can drink right, right. i mean <laughs> to- totally too much nerdiness right too. Yeah. yeah well you
2: describe yourself as whiskey nerds yeah. and so i like IPAs, and I'll go try, you know, as many as as you can. And, you know, maybe 30% of them I like, but it's still the experience (laughs) or you kind of just the discovery, which is kind of fun.
1: Yeah, very cool. Um, So you're still in startup mode here. Yes. Um, Let's not forget that. Um, Any major hurdles that were sort of unexpected? I know, like, you talked a little bit about sourcing and things like that, but anything that's been sort of
0: Oof, we really didn't expect this. Well, they're actually literally happening today. Um, There's a huge glass shortage in the spirits industry. And we knew that our bottles would be a little bit delayed. We ordered them in April, and usually they take two weeks to arrive. And they told us it would take two months until they started being manufactured. And we actually got an email today saying they probably won't be available until the fall. So that slows down production, and we're going into kind of Emailing all the people that use similar bottles, seeing if they can sell us a few pallets, going into that kind of like classic startup, find every nook and cranny where you might be able to take advantage of relationships. Oh, the the
2: joy of waking up (laughs) each morning.
0: Exactly. And of course, that's timed exactly when all of our we we actually got an article recently in a men's high-end specialty kind of blog website and that pretty much sold us out of all of our single casks. So wonder like wonderful, but now all of a sudden we're looking at a time where we probably will only have one product, which is our larger, our first blend that's a larger product, that being available for a while. So it's one of those things where we keep on reminding ourselves: this is an amazing problem to have. Now get to it and fix it. Fix right. it. Scrap the scrappiness. Yeah. yeah.
2: What about using those glass bottles that milk comes in? <laughs> like that would be such a Vermonti thing.
1: Oh, it would. It would. Yeah. We'll I mean, have to stay, stay tuned for that. I'm stay excited. Tuned. Yeah,
2: for, for sure. Um, all right, I have one other question. That's not on the thing. Um, can you just end this like controversy? Because I'm I'm not a whiskey nerd. Yeah. Uh, my ice cube shape. Do mm. so I want the circle or the square? And this is physics coming right at yeah.
0: you. As, I, as long as it's big, it's good. So it needs to be, the, the bigger the better, because it just uh, melts more slowly. So you get a little bit of that watering down, but you can enjoy your whiskey for way longer without it tasting watered down. So I don't have strong feelings about a big cube or a big circle. Some people do, but as I, I say, as long as it fits in your glass, the bigger the better, because you can, you can sip for a long time. Is there a
2: sound difference to me like the the square makes a little bit the cube makes a little bit different sound.
1: <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. it's like a personal it does.
2: <laughs> all right. Sorry to sorry to get off it. Of I that, like but it though. Okay. Well, it's a huge question. I mean we must have it must is... have had 50, 50 emails come in during this taping. Well
1: now you're gonna get like all the angry responses of people
0: that drink their whiskey neat, uh, Well, like...
2: yeah, and that triangle faction will be after us. Yeah, I get it. <laughs>
0: That's true. I mean we don't we do everything calf strength. And we drink it neat, but we know that that's not how a lot of people are gonna drink it. It's 120 proof and above. And we, but we do that so that people can add water, they can add ice, they can do a big ice cube, they can do a small ice cube. Basically, we trust that people are buying our whiskey. We'll figure it out and ask questions
2: like this. We get enough problems (laughs) in the country, I just don't want the ice cube shape to be one of them. Yeah, fair. fair.
1: Well, now my question's so boring. Um, (laughs)
2: That's what makes this show work, Sam. Oh,
1: God. Here I am again. Um, If I could only make my voice more monotone. Um, Let's talk about financing the company. Mm -hmm. So how have you approached that so far, and sort of what's your strategy looking ahead?
0: Yeah, so... I was lucky with finance. I saved a bunch of money. I knew that I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do later, and I was smart in my early 20s. Lucky me. And you don't so, hear that too often. So I put a, a, a good chunk of money in to begin with and, and financed our road trip and financed, financed the first couple of, of releases that awesome. we've done. We also then went and we have a, a term loan and a line of credit, which is huge. That funds a lot of our inventory right now, so we don't have to worry because... Buying the whiskey is by far our largest expense. It's 75% of the money that we spend on an annual basis goes to whiskey, so having that inventory funding is huge. Um, We're also now starting to look at doing a larger raise, specifically because we think that there's a huge market opportunity because we're first movers there. We anticipate a lot of whiskey being on the market post-pandemic as distilleries try to figure out where they're going. So some of our best distilleries were already – working on locking down longer term um, contracts, if we can fund that. That um, And we also think, unfortunately, there are going to be some distilleries that go out of business. And if they have whiskey that we can buy, we want to be able to do that. We're also looking at getting a space and Finally investing in marketing and you need money for that. <laughs> so we're we're in the process now of kind of working through that and setting it up and starting to talk to people. So excite it's it's exciting. It's it's part of what we've been doing in Launch Vermont. Definitely we're our coach there is TJ Wellen from Fresh Tracks and he's been lighting oh, a fire. Love TJ. Yeah. yeah. And Hell so yeah. it's all it's super good, but it's always intimidating the first time around. I've heard about a lot of people raising money, but this is our first time. That's not alone.
1: Yeah. Well I think, you know. We always encourage folks to start by bootstrapping, if mm-hmm. at all possible, and then, you know, loans where you can get loans and and building those relationships because all of that makes it so much easier to raise, yes. right? Because you have that trust, you have that sort of like proven history. Um, but you know, I do want to jump ahead just because you have mentioned it. Um, you are a, one of the finalists this year for Launch VT, which is yeah. super exciting. Um, tell us how that's been. I mean, we're we're sort of in the midst of it right now, but I'm just. I'd love to hear how that's going.
0: And and you really lucked out with TJ. He's yes. awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's great because in the pandemic and it, it, it's even always being a startup founder, you're so isolated. You're in your little bubble. You're kind of turning your wheels for better or for worse. Sometimes it's great because you're doing your thing and there aren't any distractions, but sometimes it feels like you're in this crazy space where you don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. And Lawn Vermont has been awesome both to push us to grow faster um, and and, and really really get moving because we were kind of going along nicely doing well building interest but they were like now's the time so that's been really awesome and it's so nice to have peers it's it's
2: right it is
0: having people that are pushing the same style of rock up the same hill at the same point is great because here at Vizet, there are so many great startup founders. It's felt a little bit like people are ahead of us. There's a, you have a really great group of people that are probably like three years ahead of us. Oh, interesting. And so it's been nice to access people that are really in this like really early growth stage where I feel like here there are a lot of people that are like two years into their, mm. their growth. So. Like they'll
1: give good advice, but they might not commiserate as much. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. So I, I, I especially have loved that. the the camaraderie and having peers, even though it's all online this year, which kind of sucks. So we've never met in person, but it's still nice to have a crew. It's a
2: great organization and program. We're big sponsors and original backers of that. Um, You mentioned COVID uh, conditions. How else did that change the business um,
1: (laughs) this year?
0: Hugely. We were supposed to originally launch our first products in April 2020. And we were supposed to launch in bars and uh, stores. And obviously, all of those closed in March. And so we delayed our release six months. We've, we released our first releases April 15th. And we actually entirely pivoted from a standard distribution model to one that is direct to consumer. So everything is shipment-based. We're not in stores and bars yet. It'll come. But it's this amazing model where we're shipping now to 40, 40 states. And our margins are way higher way than better. they would have been. So in some ways, it was frustrating. We don't get to do the tastings. We don't get to tell people why this is exciting and give them a taste. But way more people can buy it. And we're making more money so that we can immediately invest that in whiskey. So there is a, there's definite silver linings for us.
1: And that really aligns with, I feel like, your whole approach from the start, which has been that relationship building, whether it's with your suppliers or with your customers. Like, that really kind of mirrors your whole approach from the beginning, which is great. Um, So one thing I wanted to ask you about is sort of how our community has reacted to your work, because Vermonters are not necessarily the most open-minded when it comes to drinking things from out of state. (laughs) So how has that sort of um,
0: been, and are people, you know, Open-minded about it, or are interested? Yes and no. Uh-huh. I mean, I f- I think one of the interesting things about being direct to consumers, we don't have a great footprint here yet, and it's actually really hard to sell in Vermont with our model because there are all of these minimums mm. in this state liquor control board where we actually and we until our bottling moved to Vermont, it was really difficult for us to sell here. So there's interest, and people are excited about the model. They don't totally get yeah. it. But I think we're it, it takes more education here than other places, and also the price point is less desirable to most people in Vermont. Like hundred dollar whiskey, they're looking at us like we're crazy. Whereas in San Francisco, they're like, "Are you sure this is not two hundred dollars? I'll be able to gift this to right, more people right. if it's two hundred dollars." So it it's. It's a longer education process. I mean, I grew up here. It was super important to us when we um, decided to start this business that we come back here. I want to invest here. I think we'll get a lot more buy-in when we have our own physical location because people will then be like, oh, you're supporting the Vermont environment. But generally, I mean, people have been open to it. It's just a slow process. Totally. I think the education piece, you had to explain it to me a few times, right? right. And I like
1: have a background in the in the liquor industry Um, my, my dad's a distributor, so I grew up kind of understanding that, but it's different, right? And, and, but I think, you know, just as craft beer has taken off, you know, people are looking for that next thing. Um, you're going to be hiring here, which is really exciting. Um, and I think, you know, it's, um, it's time. It's time for something new. And I think people are always looking for that kind of next hobby or interest. Yeah. And
2: I got to believe too, that the producers, they're, you know, they're, they're crafts folk, right? They're artisans Mm -hmm. and not everybody wants to be a digital marketing expert (laughs) or like know the laws on labels and all that. And if you could kind of make that easier and that's, that's a a very scalable, very interesting, um, tasty Right. Business model. <laughs> you said you grew up in Vermont?
0: Yes. Yeah, I, I grew up in Middlebury. My mom taught at the college. So oh, cool. Yeah, I left and spent 15 years in New York City and now I'm back. It's definitely changed. Oh my a God. Lot. You're like
2: the story, <laughs> right, Sam? <laughs> yep. This is like the mythical story. It of totally is. Someone moves away, does something, and comes back with a killer business.
0: It brings their network with them. Yeah.
2: Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. What'd, you, what'd your mom teach?
0: She taught creative writing and Irish lit. There. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Different skill set than mine. So, <laughs> yeah.
2: so you mentioned TJ Whalen. Have there been other mentors that you've uh, found helpful, both here or, or afar?
0: I mean, definitely distillers all over the place because they have been through a lot of the same things that we have, and we've learned so much from them, both what mistakes not to make how to think about raising money even, like going for the loan versus tra- starting for equity to begin with, because it, it's harder the other way around. It takes a lot more time. Generally, we have, yeah, especially App One has, or Anam has a really good network, and we call them weekly. There's, we have a core set, and they happen to also be the people that we're sourcing the most whiskey from, um, not those are not necessarily aligned but it's just worked out that way where we have a group where we can ping and say like he's probably emailing them right now about the bottles going where can we oh. get these <laughs> who who has ideas right, right
2: who's a maple syrup manufacturer with a bunch of bottles <laughs> hanging out right
0: exactly so it's been it's been mostly in In the distilling industry, I know as we build our business, it'll probably be less so. But at the beginning, it's so industry focused, like with especially with the liquor laws. How do we deal Mm -hmm. with this? What what should our what about our label is going to get thrown back at us and that we have to change? So it's been really important as we set up just the basics that we have that investment and buy in from the industry.
1: Yeah. And you've mentioned a couple of times that, you know, one of the next things ahead is like the marketing push, right? That that. I'm sure TJ is itching for you to to jump into knowing his background. Um, What is that going to look like? Do you have any sort of plans in terms of what your strategy will be? Um,
0: Well, we know from a tactical perspective. It's not going to be us. It's not our skill set. We'll definitely outsource it. I think it's going to be digital, mostly. Mm -hmm. Um, There are two main focuses, both education that people can buy alcohol online, because that's such a new thing Mm. that, I mean, with the New York Times article, we got orders, but we also got even more requests from retailers where it was clear that customers went in and said, do you have Lost Lantern? Mm. They didn't even know that they could click on our website and go buy it. So there's Mm. a huge amount of education. And, And the nice thing is other distilleries or, or whiskey producers are also going to be doing that. But we that's a huge part. And then generally, it's just getting in front of people because we find, I mean, our conversion rate is insanely high, especially once we get them on our newsletter, even if they don't buy the first time, our conversion is really high. So it's its less going to be sales, sales, sales. It's more just going to be like, hey, this is what we're up to. Check out this cool stuff. Sort of Check out this curating story. Curating this
2: community, like uh, subscriptions or
0: Like be, be in the know, be the first in your group, whiskey group to know about this. So it's going to be, it's going to be digital. It's going to be relatively storytelling, but yeah. Yeah. I love that.
1: And I think some of the, the businesses that excite me most are when there's that educational piece. Like, of course it's an uphill battle. Um, but I just think it's so much more fun to be able to like, teach people something and that ends up being the best sales strategy you can have, right? Right. Yeah. We're not going
0: to come in and be like, buy this whiskey. It'll be, listen, listen to the story about this distillery. Right. I I think in some ways the fact that our business is so much based off of storytelling does really feed nicely into marketing and not having it feel like. Totally. Like
2: people are paying big bucks to go find content about their customers or the suppliers and you just do that from, from inception. So, um, we're going to wrap up here pretty no. shortly. I know, it's, my ice cube is melting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say what shape it is. Uh, any other Vermont companies that, that you, or Adam, admire and sort of say, oh, my God, they nailed it. We directionally...
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, we love Bee's Rap, What they've done with their B Corp and their growth has has felt really good. It felt really good. I mean, they were based in Middlebury, um, so I watched them kind of from nascency. But the way that they scaled up, it didn't. It felt like they did it at least from the outside. While it was crazy, they did it in a good way. Um, also, Bar Hill. I mean, in the spirits industry, like they're amazing. Inside or outside of Vermont, they're they're really on the cusp of gin and also the way that they talk about it is. I was super just going to say
1: the the storytelling. I mean, neither Dave or I knew Ryan at all before we had him in for the podcast, and we just like we had like the chin resting on hand, <laughs> like tell us a story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's similar. It actually, you know, Lost Lantern reminds me a lot of of um, Bar Hill, just in that like passion around this craft and wanted right. to share that with people.
2: Yeah. Yeah, in a, in a different angle based upon you know, either empathy because you worked at a retail uh, shop or had been written about, you you kind of get it from, from everybody's perspective. And I think those are two great examples. And didn't Bees go nuts when, was it a Reddit stream or something? They had some, no. some viral moment that just... Yeah was overwhelming right something Um, like
0: that yeah kind of like the new york times writing about
2: (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty awesome
0: we used to buy them at the farmers market now they're every now you see them everywhere yeah and it feels
2: good using it like i'm like great we're not using petrochemical wraps and all the rest so
0: and
1: they've also there. i one of the reasons i think they're super cool too is like they've had so many fast followers Mm -hmm. but their product is still the best and still stands out the most and um I think that's just a really good good lesson for all of us. Is you know, especially as fast followers kind of come up, it's like stay focused on what you're good at, and it works. And female founder, yeah, Sarah, Sarah she's good. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, Sammy, will, will you? uh It's time challenge.
1: Do the honors She needs a challenge. This has been way too easy. It's totally. For so like,
2: a little, there was no intimidation. No. There was like, Nothing. Too, I hide it well. It's too nice. much <laughs> comfort and smiling the whole time. It's it's infuriating. Yeah, yeah. Dave's pissed. <laughs>
1: Um, All right, Nora. So uh, it's it's magic wand time. Yes. So if you had a magic wand change one thing about Vermont today, what would
0: it? be? I'm lucky I listened to this podcast. I came prepared. Love it. I think for me in general, I think it's infrastructure. Here in Vermont, the internet, like for us, we spend so much time talking to people outside of the state and the number of times our internet crashes or Zoom doesn't work or just general baseline stuff with with the infrastructure. And I know that goes beyond, obviously, my personal experience, but from an educational perspective and getting people to move to the state, because I think for us, when we think about hiring we're not, we are going to try to buy, uh, try to hire as many people from Vermont as possible, but there will be times if we need super specialized knowledge, we will move them here. And to convince them to come here, we need to have that infrastructure in place. And I would love for that to be a little bit stronger yeah. in general. That's a good one.
2: It's a great one. Um, thank you for that.
0: I feel like I've talked to a lot of people about it recently, so it was tip of the tongue. Feeling passionate about that, particularly (laughs) passionate. Yeah, Yeah. especially in the pandemic. Oh, God, yeah. So,
2: Nora, thank you so much. I I think, you know, weren't weren't they our last tasting prior to shutdown? Did you ever do a tasting here? We
0: were talking about it, and then we ran out of time before. Ran out of... Yeah, uh, and then you
2: ran out of product because you sold it all. So... (laughs) Um,
0: We're, well can we wait
1: till after I have this baby and then we'll, so I can we'll st- have your back tasting which is yes. just like a couple weeks so. selfishly
2: <laughs> that's true we wouldn't do it without you Sam
1: thank you just tell, don't tell me about it okay
2: July okay. We'll, we'll talk about it okay yeah. um, thank you so much for, for sharing your story and it's really in the early days yes. and we can't wait to see where, where this goes and thanks for coming home and choosing to do it from Vermont This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series is supported by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. This episode has also been brought to you by the Vermont Center for Women in Enterprise. Check them out at cweonline.org. Let's go home and pick up an ice cube shape.